Hi there, it's Nathan Egan with The Working Actor's Journey, and today you'll hear some excerpted scenes from our recent live stream reading of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. It's an all-star cast of past guests from the podcast, including Dakin Matthews, Robert Pine, Jeffrey Wade, Angie Bird, Alan Mandel, and many more. This whole thing came together within about two weeks after we received the shelter-in-place directives in California, and yet they all deliver amazing performances. I knew it would be a great show, and even with no director and no rehearsal, these actors exceeded my expectations. And if you enjoy this, we're doing another live reading you can watch on May 14th at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Our next show is Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor, with past guests Harry Groner, Don Didowick, Peter Van Norden, and lots more. Now for this Much Ado episode, you'll hear our introduction to the play, including a wonderful section from our dramaturg Gideon Rappaport, and then a couple scenes from each act. And I've even thrown in our intermission with Shakespeare trivia. This is about half the show. And if you want to ensure you see and hear the next one, tune in on May 14th at 3 p.m. Pacific Time for The Merry Wives of Windsor. Just go to workingactorsjourney.com slash merrywives for more info. Be sure to click play on the video and then set reminder to get an email notification when we go live. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome. In these times of Much Ado About Something, we are pleased to bring you an online Shakespeare reading of Much Ado About Nothing. My name is Nathan Agan, an actor and host of the Working Actors Journey podcast. We have assembled a very impressive and quite accomplished cast today, mainly because, like all of us, they are also stuck at home too. So that is one silver lining in all of this. Now, wherever you are in the world, thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll also see a live chat box next to the video. Please feel free to share where you are and your comments as we go. Now, if you're not familiar with the actors today, you are in for a treat. Many of them have been working professionally for decades across theater, film, and TV, and several have spent quite a bit of their careers with the works of Shakespeare. They have played major parts at theaters around the country, and I'm quite grateful to them for jumping into each and every character. To me... This is an all-star cast, and I'm, a both, I'm both amazed and thrilled that we could get everyone together. Now, there is a sign-up form below to stay connected, and if we ever do something like this again, you'll be the first to know. Please also feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, at WAJPodcast, and use the hashtag MuchAdoLive. So yes, these are extraordinary times, and even with everything going on, I also have a tremendous amount of hope because of all the creativity and innovation we're seeing across all industries right now. And I have a feeling that when we're through all of this, we'll be even better off. So I'm grateful to all these actors and to all of you to play a part in that. I want to thank a couple of our collaborators. First, the City of Coronado Public Library and its director, Sean Briley, for making this technology available. I would also like to mention the San Diego Shakespeare Society, of which I am a member for their support with this project. And in fact, if you'd like to read Shakespeare with others, you can join the society and library as they move the open readings online starting April 7th. They are available to anyone, anywhere, whatever your level of experience. You can even just come and listen. So check out the society's website to learn more details. 
And finally, a special thanks to PlayShakespeare.com for providing the performance script. We do hope the tech gods are with us today, though if anything does happen or anyone drops off for any reason, we will roll with it. This is just like live theater, so I appreciate the two of them willing to bravely jump into this. It was also more important that we connect and share this work with all of you versus making it perfect. So if there are any bumps in the road as we all figure out this new venture, we appreciate your patience. Now, there are many fantastic charities and groups doing great work right now, and I want to just highlight one of those, Project Cure. As the medical industry experiences a vast shortage of equipment, uh, the Project Cure is making all of their masks, gloves, PPEs, and other items available to hospitals and first responders to fight COVID-19. If you'd like to support their work, head to projectcurecure.org. And if you out there would like to share any other charities that you're supporting, please feel free to do so in the live chat. Okay, at this time, if I could ask all the actors to hop off backstage, it is my pleasure to introduce Gideon Rappaport, a San Diego teacher and dramaturg. He is also a member of the San Diego Shakespeare Society and author of the forthcoming book, A Shakespeare Companion for Students. Gideon Thank you so much for joining us. The play is Much Ado About Nothing, and the floor is yours. Thank you, Nathan. Before we begin, we thought it would be helpful to give a few words of introduction to Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. It is useful to remember on such an occasion as this, that several years before Much Ado was written in 1598, severe outbreaks of plague closed the London theaters for about two years. Three years after the play was performed, plague again struck London, forcing the theaters to close for a year. So Shakespeare was no stranger to actors on furlough because of a threatened plague. This play, however, depicts a lively and convivial society of people of goodwill, at least at the start. But as we are learning, comfortable societies may be precarious. The play's world of Messina is marred by the mutual mistrust of Beatrice and Benedict and villainously disrupted by virus in the form of the evil will of the envious Don John. Good people succumb to deception and error. Eventually, thanks to the bumbling but well-meaning first responders Dogberry and the Watch, harmony is restored. But that restoration of social harmony, including the harmony of lovers, requires three things. The recognition of human fallibility, the turning of the will in repentance, and finally, forgiveness. The title of the play is significant, and perhaps a little bit of explanation will help you to pick up on its layers of meaning. The phrase is one of those commonplace phrases that Shakespeare likes to use for his middle period comedies, like As You Like It, All's Well That Ends Well, and What You Will. Much Ado About Nothing means a lot of fuss about a non-issue. But in Shakespeare's day, the word that we pronounce as nothing sounded almost exactly like the word we pronounce as noting. And to note had several meanings. It could mean to observe closely, it could mean to point at something, and it could mean to accuse publicly or to denounce. So the title implies that this play is going to depict a lot of fuss 
A, about something that doesn't exist, B, about observing people and events, C, about people pointing at one another, and D, about a public accusation. In addition, you will note several references to musical notes, both notated and sung. To Shakespeare and his audience, a comedy meant to play with a happy ending. And while this play has many hilarious examples of what we mean by comedy, like almost all Shakespeare's comedies, it also involves the real threat of death, which gives seriousness to the themes of error and recovery, sort of the way the empty toilet paper shelves at the market have awakened us to the seriousness of themes like hoarding and supply lines. We thank you for tuning in to our online dramatic reading of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you uh, very much for that, Gideon. Uh, it was really fantastic to hear all that context and these insights into the play, and I hope all of you enjoyed hearing that as well. Now, each half of the play will run about 80 to 85 minutes, and we will have a 10-minute intermission, during which time we'll do some Shakespeare trivia, not the easy stuff, uh, and perhaps even take some questions from the audience via the chat box. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoy our online reading of Much Ado About Nothing. Actors, places for the top of the show. Much Ado About Nothing. Act One, Scene One. Messina, Italy, before Governor Leonardo's house. I learned in this letter that Don Pedro of Aragon comes this night to Messina. He is very near by this. He was not three leagues off when I left him. How many gentlemen have you lost in this action? But few of any sort and none of name. Ah, victory is twice itself when the achiever brings home full numbers. I find here that Don Pedro hath bestowed much honor on a young Florentine called Claudio. Much deserved on his part, and equally remembered by Don Pedro. He hath borne himself beyond the promise of his age, doing in the figure of a lamb the feats of a lion. He hath indeed better bettered expectation than you must expect of me to tell you how. Ah, he hath an uncle here in Messina will be very much glad of it. I have already delivered him letters, and there appears much joy in him. Even so much, that joy could not show itself modest enough without a badge of bitterness. Did he break out into tears? In great measure. A kind overflow of kindness. There are no faces truer than those that are so washed. How much better it is to weep at joy than to joy at weeping. I, I pray you, is Signor Montanto returned from the wars or no? I know none of that name, lady. There was none such in the army of any sort. What is he that you ask for, niece? My cousin means Signor Benedict of Padua. Oh, he's returned, and as pleasant as ever he was. He set up his bills here in Messina and challenged Cupid at the flight. And my uncle's fool, reading the challenge, subscribed for Cupid and challenged him at the bird bolt. I pray you, how many hath he killed and eaten in these wars? But how many hath he killed? For indeed, I promise to eat all of his killing. Faith, niece, you tax Signor Benedict too much. But he'll be meat with you, I doubt it not. 
He hath done good service, lady, in these wars. You had musty victual, and he hath hoped to eat it. He's a very valiant trenchman, trencherman. He hath an excellent stomach. And a good soldier too, lady. And a good soldier to a lady, but what is he to a lord? A lord to a lord, a man to a man, stuffed with all honorable virtues. It is so indeed. He is no less than a stuffed man. For the stuffing, well, we're all mortal. You must not so mistake, my niece. There is a kind of merry war betwixt Signor Benedict and her. They never meet, but there's a skirmish of wit between them. Alas, he gets nothing by that. In our last conflict, four of his five wits went halting off, and now is the whole man governed with one, so that if he have wit enough to keep himself warm, let it bear it, let him bear it for a difference between himself and his horse, for it is all the wealth that he hath left to be known a reasonable creature. Who is his companion now? He hath every month a new sworn brother. Is possible. Very easily possible. He wears his faith, but as the fashion of his hat, it ever changes with the next block. I see, lady, the gentleman is not in your books. <laughs> no, and, and he were, I would burn my study. I, I pray you, who is his companion? Is there no young squarer now that will make a voyage with him to the devil? Uh, he is most in the company of the right noble Claudio. Oh, Lord, he will hang upon him like a disease. He is no sooner caught than the pestilence, and the taker runs presently mad. God help the noble Claudio. If he have caught the Benedict, it will cost him a thousand pound, ere he be cured. I will hold friends with you, lady. Do good, friend. You will never run mad, niece. No, not till a hot January. Don Pedro is approached. Good, Signor Leonato, you are come to meet your trouble. The fashion of the world is to avoid cost, and you encounter it. Never came trouble to my house in the likeness of your grace. Ah. The trouble being gone, comfort should remain. But when you depart from me, sorrow abides and happiness takes his leave. You embrace your charge too willingly. I think this is your daughter. Her mother hath many times told me so. <laughs> Were you in doubt that you asked her? Signor Benedict, no, for then were you a child. You have it full, Benedict. We may guess by what you are, being a man. Truly, the lady fathers herself. Be happy, lady, for you are like an honorable father. If Signor Leonato be her father, she would not have his head on her shoulders for all of Messina, as like him as she is. I wonder that you will still be talking, Signor Benedict. Nobody marks you. What, my dear lady disdain, are you yet living? Is it possible disdain should die while she hath such meat food to feed it as Signor Benedict? <laughs> courtesy itself must convert to disdain if you come in her presence. Then is courtesy a turncoat. But it is certain I am loved of all ladies, only you excepted. And I would I could find it in my heart that I had not a hard heart. For truly, I love none. A dear happiness to women. They would else have been troubled with a pernicious suitor. I thank God and my cold blood. I am of your humor for that. I'd rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. God keep your ladyship still in that mind. So some gentleman or other shall scape a predestinate scratched face. Scratching could not make it worse, and twere such a face as yours were. <laughs> well, you are a rare parrot teacher. A bird of my tongue is better than a beast of yours. I would my horse had the speed of your tongue and so good a continuer. But keep your way, in God's name. I have done. You 
always end with a jade's trick. I know you of old. That is the sum of all, Leonato. Signor Claudio, Signor Benedict, my dear friend Leonato hath invited you all. I tell him we shall stay here at least a month, and he hereby prays some occasion may detain us longer. I dare swear he is no hypocrite, but prays from his heart. If you swear, my lord, you shall not be forsworn. <laughs> Let me bid you welcome, my lord. Being reconciled to the prince, your brother, I owe you all duty. I thank you. I am not of many words, but I thank you. Yeah, please let your grace lead on. Your hand, Leonardo, we will go together. Benedict, mm. didst thou note the daughter of Signor Leonardo? I noted her not, but I looked on her. Is she not a modest young lady? Do you question me as an honest man should do for my simple true judgment? Or would you have my, me speak after my custom as being a professed tyrant to their sex? Uh, no, I prithee speak in sober judgment. Why, Faith, methinks she's too low for a high praise, too brown for a fair praise, and too little for a great praise. Only this commendation I can afford her, that were she other than she is, she were unhandsome, and being no other than she is, I do not like her. Thou thinkst I am in sport, I prithee tell me truly how thou likest her. Would you buy her that you inquire after her? Can the world buy such a jewel? Yea, and a case to put it into. But uh, speak you this with a sad brow? Or do you play the flouting Jack to tell us Cupid is a good hair finder and Vulcan a rare carpenter? Come, in what key shall a man take you to go in the song? In mine eye, she is the sweetest lady that ever I looked on. I can see without spectacles, and I see no such matter. There's her cousin... And she were not possessed with a fury, exceeds her as much in beauty as the first of May doth the last of December. But I hope you have no intent to turn husband, have you? I would scarce trust myself, though I had sworn the contrary, if Hero would be my... Is it come to this? If faith, hath not the world one man, but he will wear his cap with suspicion... Shall I never see a bachelor of threescore again? Go to a faith, and thou wilt needs thrust thy neck into a yoke, wear the print of it, and sigh away Sundays. Uh, look, Don Pedro, Pedro's returned to seek you. What secret hath held you here that you followed not the Leonardo's? I would your grace would constrain me to tell. I charge thee on thy allegiance. You hear, Count Claudio? I can be as secret as a dumb man. I would have you think so. But on my allegiance, mark you this, on my allegiance, he is in love with who? Now, that's your grace's part. Mark how short his answer is. With hero, Leonardo's short daughter. If this were so, so were it uttered. Like the old tale, my lord, it is not so, nor twas not so, but indeed, God forbid, it should be so. If my passion change not shortly, God forbid, it should be otherwise. Amen, if you love her, for the lady is... Very well worth, well worthy. You speak this to fetch me in, my lord. By my troth, I speak my thought. And a faith, my lord, I spoke mine. And by my two faiths and troth, my lord, I spoke mine. That I love her, I feel. That she is worthy, I know. That I neither feel how she should be loved, nor know how she should be worthy, is the opinion that fire cannot melt out of me. I will die in it at the stake. 
Thou wast ever an obstinate heretic in the despite of beauty. And never could maintain his part, but in the force of his will. That a woman conceived me, I thank her. That she brought me up, I likewise give her most humble thanks. But that I will have a rechate winded in my forehead, or hang my bugle in an invisible baldric, all women shall pardon me. Because I will not do them the wrong to mistrust any, I will do myself the right to trust none. Mm. And the fine is, for the which I may go the finer, I will live a bachelor. I shall see thee ere I die look pale with love. Uh, with anger, with sickness, or with hunger, my lord, not with love. <laughs> Prove that ever I lose more blood with love than I will get again with drinking. Pick out my eyes with a ballad maker's pen and hang me at the door of a brothel house for the sign of blind Cupid. Well, if ever thou dost fall from this fate, thou wilt prove a notable argument. If I do, hang me in a bottle like a cat and shoot at me, and he that hits me, let him be clapped on the shoulder and called Adam. <laughs> well, as time shall try. In time the savage bull doth bear the yoke. The savage bull may, but if ever the sensible Benedict bear it, pluck off the bull's horns, set them in my forehead, and let me be vilely painted, and in such great letters as they write, here is good horse to hire, let them signify under my sign, here you may see Benedict, the married man. If this should ever happen, thou wouldst be horn mad. Nay, if Cupid have not spent all his quiver in Venice, Thou wilt quake for this shortly. <laughs> I look for an earthquake, too, then. <laughs> well, you will temporize with the hours. In the meantime, good Signor Benedict, repair to Leonato's, commend him to me, tell him I will not fail him at supper, for indeed he hath made great preparation. I have almost matter enough in me for such an embassage. And so I do commit you to the tuition of God from my house, if I had it. The 6th of July, your loving friend, Benedict. <laughs> no, mock not, mock not. The body of your discourse is sometime guarded with fragments, and the guards are but slightly basted on neither. Ere you flout old ends any further, examine your conscience. And so I leave you. My liege, your highness now may do me good. My love is thine to teach, teach it but how, and thou shalt see how apt it is to learn any hard lesson that they may that may do thee good. Hath Leonato any son, my lord? No child but hero, she is his only heir. Dost thou affect her, Claudio? Oh, my lord, when you went onward on this ended action, I looked upon her with a soldier's eye that liked, but had a rougher task in hand than to drive liking to the name of love. But now I am returned, and that war thoughts have left their places vacant. In their rooms come thronging soft and delicate desires, all prompting me how fair young hero is, saying, I liked her ere I went to wars. Thou wilt be like a lover presently, and tire the hero with a book of words. <laughs> if thou dost love fair hero, cherish it, and I will break with her and with her father, and thou shalt have her. Was it not to end, was it not to this end that thou began so to twist so fine a story? Oh, sweetly you do minister to love that no loves grief by his complexion. But lest my liking might too sudden seem, I would have salved it with a longer treatise. What need the bridge much broader than the flood? 
The fairest grant is the necessity. Look, what will serve is fit. Tis once thou lovest, and I will fit thee with the remedy. I know that we shall be reveling tonight. I will assume thy part in some disguise. And tell fair hero, I am Claudio, and in her bosom I'll unclasp my heart and take her hearing prisoner with a force and strong encounter of my amorous tale. And after, to her father will I break. And the conclusion is, she shall be thine. In practice, let us put it presently. Act One, Scene Two. A Room in Leonardo's House. Oh, now, brother, where's my cousin, your son? Have he provided this music? He is very busy about it. But, brother, I can tell you strange news that you yet drink not of. Are they good? As the event stamps them, but they have a good cover. They show well outward. The prince and Count Claudio, walking in the thick pleached alley in mine orchard, were thus much overheard by a man of mine. The prince discovered to Claudio that he loved my niece, your daughter, and meant to acknowledge it thus uh, at night in a dance. And if he found her accordant, he meant to take the present time by the top and instantly break with you of it. Hath the fellow any wit that told you this? A good sharp fellow. I'll send for him. You can question him yourself. No, no, no. We will hold it as a dream till it appear itself. But I will acquaint my daughter with all, that she may be the better prepared for an answer if peradventure this be true. So go you and tell her of it. Cousins, you know what to do. Oh, I cry you mercy, friend. <laughs> uh, go with me. I will use your skill. Good cousin, have a care this busy time. Act three, scene one, Leonardo's garden. Good Margaret. Uh, run thee to the parlor. There shalt thou find my cousin Beatrice proposing with the prince and Claudio. Whisper her ear and tell her that I and Ursley walk in the orchard and her whole discourse is all of her. Say that thou overheardst us and, and bid her steal into the pleached bower where honeysuckles, ripened by the sun, forbid the sun to enter, like favorites made proud by princes that advance their pride against the power that breeds it. There will she hide her to listen to our propose. This is thy office. Bear thee well in it and leave us alone. I'll make her come, I warrant you, presently. <laughs> now. Ursula, when Beatrice doth come, as we do trace this alley up and down, our talk must only be of Benedict. When I do name him, let it be thy part to praise him more than ever man did merit. My talk to thee must be of how Benedict is sick in love with Beatrice. Of this matter is little Cupid's crafty arrow made that only wounds by hearsay. Oh, now begin. Oh, for look where Beatrice, like a lapwing, runs close by the ground to hear our conference. The pleasantest angling is to see the fish cut with her golden oars the silver stream and greedily devour the treacherous bait. So angle we for Beatrice, who even now is couched in the woodbine coverture. Oh. Fear you not my part of the dialogue. Then... 
going near her that her ear lose nothing of the false sweet bait that we lay for it. No, truly, Ursula, she is too disdainful. I know her spirits are as coy and wild as haggards of the rock. But are you sure that Benedict loves Beatrice so entirely? So says the prince and my new troth lord. And did they bid you tell her of it, madam? Oh, they didn't treat me to acquaint her of it, but I persuaded them, if they loved Benedict, to wish him wrestle with affection and never to let Beatrice know of it. Oh, why did you so? I mean, doth not the gentleman deserve as full as fortunate a bed as ever Beatrice shall couch upon? Oh, God of love. I know he doth deserve as much as may be yielded to a man. But nature never framed a woman's heart of prouder stuff than that of Beatrice. Disdain and scorn ride sparkling in her eyes, misprising what they look on, and her wit values itself so highly that to her all matter else seems weak. She cannot love, nor take no shape, nor project of affection. She is so self-endeared. Sure. I think so, and therefore certainly it were not good she knew his love, lest she make sport at it. Oh, why, you speak truth. I I never yet saw a man how wise, how noble, young, how rarely featured, but she would spell him backward. If fair-faced, she would swear the gentleman should be her sister. If black, why nature drawing of an antic made a foul blot? If tall, a lancel headed? If low, an agate very vilely cut? If speaking, why a vein blown with all winds? If silent, why a block moved with none? So turns she every man the wrong side out, and never gives to truth and virtue that which simpleness and merit purchaseth. Sure, sure, such carping is not commendable. No. Not to be so odd and from all fashions as Beatrice is, cannot be commendable. But who dare tell her so? What if I should speak? She would mock me into air. Oh, she would laugh me out of myself, press me to death with wit. Therefore, let Benedict, like covered fire, consume away in size, waste inwardly. It were a better death than die with mocks, which is as bad as die with tickling. Yet tell her of it. Hear what she will say. No! Rather, I will go to Benedict and counsel him to fight against his passion. And and truly, I'll devise some honest slanders to stain my cousin with. One doth not know how much an ill word may empoison liking. Oh, do not do your cousin such a wrong. She cannot be so much without true judgment, having so swift and excellent a wit as she is prized to have, as to refuse so rare a gentleman as Signor Benedict. Mm, He's the only man of Italy. Always accepted, my dear Claudio. I pray you be not angry with me, madam, speaking my fancy. Signor Benedict, for shape, for hearing, argument, and valor, goes foremost in report through Italy. Mm, indeed, he hath an excellent good name. Oh, his excellence did earn it ere he had it. Uh, when are you married, madam? Why, every day tomorrow. 
Come, go in. I'll show thee some attires and have thy counsel, which is the best to furnish me tomorrow. She's lined, I warrant you, with clutter, madam. <gasps> if it proves so, then loving goes by haps. Some Cupid kills with arrows, some with traps. <laughs> what fire is in my ears? Can this be true? Stand I condemned for scorn and pride so much? Contempt farewell and maiden pride adieu. No glory lives behind the back of such. Benedict. Love on, I will requite thee, taming my wild heart to thy loving hand. If thou dost love, my kindness shall incite thee to bind our loves up in a holy band. For others say thou dost deserve, and I believe it better than reportingly. Act Three, Scene Two, A Room in Leonardo's House. I do but stay till your marriage be consummate. I then go toward Aragon. I'll bring you thither, my lord, if you'll vouchsafe me. Nay, that would be as great a soil in the new gloss of your marriage as to show a child his new coat and forbid him to wear it. <laughs> I will only be bold with Benedict for his company. For from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot he is all mirth. He hath twice or thrice cut Cupid's bowstring, and the little hangman dare not shoot at him. He hath a heart as sound as a bell, and his tongue is the clapper, for what his heart thinks, his tongue speaks. Gallant, I am not as I have been. Now say I. He thinks you're sadder. I hope he be in love. Oh, hang him, truant. There's no true drop of blood in him to be truly touched with love. If he be sad, he wants money. I have the toothache. <laughs> Draw it. Hang it. You must hang it first and but afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> what? Sigh for a toothache? Where is but a humor or a worm? Well, everyone can master a grief, but he that has it. Ah. Yet say I he is in love. Oh, there is no appearance of fancy in him. Unless it be a fancy that he hath to strange disguises, as to be a Dutchman today, a Frenchman tomorrow, or in the shape of two countries at once, as a German from the waist down, all slops, and as a Spaniard from the hip upward, no doublet. <laughs> Unless he have a fancy to this foolery, as it appears he hath, he is no fool for fancy, as you would have it appear he is. If he be not in love with some woman, there's no believing old signs. He brushes a hat of mornings. What should that bode? Hath any man seen him at the barber's? No, but the barber's man hath been seen with him, and the old ornament of his cheek hath already stuffed tennis balls. Oh. He looks younger than he did by the loss of a beard. Nay, rubs himself with civet. Can you smell him out by that? That's as much as to say the sweet youth's in love. <laughs> Greatest note of it is his melancholy. And when was he want to wash his face? Yea, or to paint himself, for the which I hear what they say of him. Nay, but his jesting spirit, which has now crept into a lute string and now governed by stops. Indeed, that tells a heavy tale for him. Conclude, conclude, he is in love. Nay, but I know. 
who loves him. That's what I know, too. I want one that knows him not. Yes, and all his ill conditions, and in despite of all, dies for him. Oh, well, she shall be buried with her face upwards. Uh, Yet this is no charm for the toothache. Oh, Old senor, walk aside with me. I've studied eight or nine wise words to speak to you, which these hobby horses must not hear. <laughs> oh, my life to break with him about Beatrice? Even so, Hero and have by this played their parts with Beatrice, and then the two bears will not bite one another when they meet. My lord and brother, God save you. Good then, brother. If your leisure served, I would speak with you. In in private? If if it please you. Yet Count Claudio may hear, for what I speak of concerns him. What's the matter? Means your lordship to be married tomorrow. You know he does. I know not that. When he knows what I know. If there be any impediment, I pray you discover it. you, You may think I love you not. Let that appear hereafter, and aim better at me by that. I will now manifest. For my brother, I think he holds you well, and in dearness of heart hath helped to effect your ensuing marriage. Surely suit ill-spent and laboured ill-bestowed. Why? What's the matter? I came hither to tell you, uh, and the circumstances shortened, for she has been too long at talking. The lady is disloyal. Who, hero? Even she. Leonato's hero. Your hero. Every man's hero. Disloyal. The word is too good to paint her out. I would say she were worse. Think you of a worse title, and I will fit it to her. Wonder not till further warrant. Go with me tonight, and you shall see her chamber window entered, even the night before her wedding day. If you love her then, tomorrow, wed her. But it would better fit your honor to change your mind. May this be so? I will not think it. Well, if you dare not trust that you see, confess not that you know. If you will follow me, I will show you enough. And when you have seen more and heard more, proceed accordingly. If I see anything tonight, why I should not marry Tomorrow in the congregation where I should wed... There will I shame her. And as I wooed for thee to obtain her, I will join thee to disgrace her. I will disparage her no further till you are my witnesses. Bear it coldly but till midnight, and let the issue show itself. Oh, day untowardly turned. Oh, mischief strangely thwarting. Oh, plague right well prevented. So will you say when you have seen the sequel. Intermission. Yes. All right. Well done, everyone. That brings us to our 10-minute intermission. Uh, actors and audience, 10 minutes, please. Uh, and I'll even set my timer here. And thank you to Susan for reading all the uh, acts and scenes and locations. I hope all of you are enjoying this as much as I am. So, actors, you are welcome to join us on stage during our 10-minute break. Uh, and for you watching at home, please feel free to... Uh, you know, take a quick walk around your living room or, uh, you know, or you can stick around for uh, the quiz and to ask questions in the live chat. I'll try to monitor that as well. Um, but, uh, you know, before I get into some of the questions, 
and uh, I don't have many, but uh, I was just curious if anyone in the cast or, or anyone on, on the, in the room here, they had any reflections or thoughts, if they want to be thinking about something that they've uh, wanted to share, either, you know, hearing the play or watching it, um, that would be, uh, that would be great. Can definitely do that. And uh, a lot of the participants can raise your hands if you'd like to say something, but um, no pressure. I know you've all just uh, done the first part. So, and it's been great, like I said. So let me, I'm going to ask a, a few simple questions. Uh, well, they're simple questions, but, and, and they're Shakespeare trivia, but think of this like pub trivia, you know, no looking things up on your phone, no, uh, no internet searches, just see how much you know uh, based on this. So, and I'll, I'll, I'll give the answers at the end of the intermission. So the first question, question number one, which Shakespeare play is the only one that doesn't have a song? And I imagine some of the actors here might know these. So uh, hopefully you don't blurt anything out. But which one is the only play that doesn't have a song? And of course, Much Ado has to exclude itself because you heard the fabulous Armin Shimmerman singing. Uh, so that was wonderful. But there is a play that doesn't have a song. Which one is that? Question number two. What phrase, often attributed to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, did Shakespeare first write? So what phrase, often attributed to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, did Shakespeare first write? That's question number two. And there's a three-point bonus on this one. What play does it come from? What, which character says it? And in what speech? See if you can go for all three of those. And again... Just no, of course, you can Google all this and find all this out right now, but just see what you can come up with. Uh, question number three. What did Shakespeare leave his wife Anne in his will? Was it A, his books, B, his second best bed, C, his garden tools, or D, his money? So what did Shakespeare leave his wife, Anne, in his will? Was it A, his books, B, his second best bed, C, his garden tools, or D, his money? Question number four out of five. Question number four. Which of Shakespeare's title roles has the fewest lines? Is it A, Julius Caesar, B, Othello, C, Pericles, or D, Cymbeline? Which of Shakespeare's title roles has the fewest lines? A, Julius Caesar, B, Othello, C, Pericles, or D, Cymbeline? And question number five. How many of Shakespeare's original manuscripts have survived? Of the, and I know it's a point for a little bit of contention, of the number of plays that we have, let's say 37-ish, how many of Shakespeare's original manuscripts have survived? So those are the five questions. Uh, think about those in, you know, about five minutes. I'll share the answers uh, and uh, I will go check the chat. And uh, if any of the, uh, the actors, again, want to come on or if Gideon, uh, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but if anyone had any thoughts or, or reflections on the first uh uh, the first part of this, I'd, I'd love to hear. And and uh, perhaps we can get to this uh, after the play, but I know a number of the actors have done productions and readings of Much Ado before this. And, uh, you know, so they've played different parts and maybe now it's a similar part or a different part. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's it. And I'll, and I'll, otherwise I'll just try to vamp here because I've, I've had it easy. I've been hanging out and, you know, watching all of this and, and it appears 
the tech gods are supporting this production because uh, we haven't had any issues, which is really wonderful. You know, you like theater and like any live event, you plan so much, but then you have to just kind of wait and see what happens. So, uh, and I'm seeing some uh, answers uh, pop up. Uh, I'm also seeing a lot of applause. People loved it. Um, we have a comment. People loved Armin singing, uh, that it was a treat. So, uh, you know, for all those actors who worry about, you know, singing their song in Shakespeare, uh, you can do it well and the audience will love you for it. So, uh, people loved, uh, Gideon's opening remarks. So that's really great. So, um, yeah, so let's see some of the answers that are coming in, uh, uh, his second best bed, a number of people are voting for that. Um, maybe, maybe Julius Caesar has the fewest lines. Um, so, all right, people, I, what I like is that, uh, hopefully, uh, these aren't too easy and it doesn't seem like they are. Um, and, uh, there are some comments that people are waiting for the very, uh, anticipated arrival of uh, a particular character and actor that fortunate for us kicks off the second act. Uh, so, you know, he, he has some fans out there as, as I'm sure all the actors have fans out there, of course. Um, but, uh, no, this is, this is great. So let's see, we have about four and a half minutes left actors, everybody, four and a half minutes left. And let's see what, uh, what else do I want to share here? And I don't blame any of the actors for taking a well-deserved 10 minute break. Um, and, uh, that's it. And Dakin is here. Thank you, Dakin. Wetting my whistle? Yes, of course. Um, and now, Dakin, you, you've done productions of Much Ado before, correct? I've done, I think, four. Wow. Yeah. And have you, you've played, I, I would guess you've played Leonardo, but what other characters have you played? Leonardo, I played Don Pedro, and I played Dogberry twice. Oh, wow. Okay. And I've dramaturged it a couple of times as well. Well, good. Well, great. Um, all right. Uh, okay. And uh, Armin, have you done a production of Much Ado before? I believe the first play I ever did as a professional actor was Much Ado when I played Don John. Hmm. Wow. Was, was, that, um, was that at the Old Globe when you were an apprentice? You know what? That was my uh, actually I was an apprentice, not a professional actor at the Globe. Um, but no, it was a place called the um, Vermont Shakespeare Festival in um, Champlain, Vermont. And uh, we did three Shakespearean plays. Um, and I believe Bernie Sanders was the mayor at the time. Ah. Oh, OK, <laughs> that's great. Um, I know what a weird uh, time we're living in where I, in an election year, we almost all forget that that is coming up. I don't think anyone has forgotten. Not, not forgotten, uh, but no. it's, it, it's been, uh, it's been dominant. There's something else has been dominating the news. Usually that's all we, uh, we all hear about for, you know, at least 16 months. Oh, plague white, right. Well prevented. So will you say when you have seen the sequel? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have uh, about two minutes left and let me run through the answers, though. I will offer uh, to any of the actors here, if they know any of them, feel free at this point to shout it out. Do any actors uh, on the call in the room here uh, know which is the only Shakespeare play that doesn't have a song? Ooh, that's a very good one. Ooh. That's a good one. 
Mm. <clears throat> well, I'm guessing it's either probably Timon or Titus. I was going to say Titus. According to my research, it is the comedy of errors. Mm. Oh. Yeah. All go. right. Now, what phrase often attributed to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did Shakespeare first write? Game's afoot. The game is afoot. Uh, Often used by Sherlock Holmes. Uh, for the three-point bonus, for those who are playing at home, do we know what play it comes from, which character says it, and in what speech? I think, I think it's a guess. I think it's it's Macbeth. Am it I is wrong. Any any other guesses? Henry the Fifth. Henry the Fifth. It it is Henry the Fifth in his un- once more under the breach. Yes. Yep. At the very end, he says uh, the games are havoc. Yeah. Um, and okay, question number three: What did Shakespeare leave his wife Anne in his will? Uh, the choices <laughs> pretty close. Yeah, the choices were his books, his second best bed, his garden tools, and his money. Second best bed. The bed second yeah. best bed. His second best bed. Second best. Pretty bed. much. Anything else he had, he left to his first daughter, um, and I forget her name right now, but uh, she Susanna. got most of it. And then he, yeah, he so. couldn't leave his books to his wife; she was illiterate; she couldn't read. Well, see, that, well, that 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 makes it sound a little bit better. That you know, here you have my second best bed instead. Um, all right, question number four: Which of Shakespeare's title roles has the fewest lines? Is it Please. Julius Caesar, uh, Othello, Pericles, or Cymbeline? It's got to be Cymbeline. I think it's Again, according to my research, it was Caesar. Julius Caesar. Caesar. He only has about yes. 150 lines. Caesar, yeah. <laughs> wow. and, and finally, how many of Shakespeare's original manuscripts have survived? Area mm. one. Area one. That is one correct. Big old goose egg. There's one that he has some lines in, but it was a it was Thomas More. Thomas More has three pages of Shakespeare's manuscript. We think they're not absolutely sure. Yeah. In his writing, in his own writing, yeah, or was own writing. Copy? in his writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That and we have a, several signatures, and that's it. Yeah. Although they all did spelled, find, they all did spelled differently on the ball. back of a Nando's menu, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> It's a new news menu, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for uh, for playing, for participating. And so now we are going to get back into the second part of this. So uh, if everybody could uh, take your places for the, the top of the second half, we will get ready for the second part of Much Ado. Act four, scene one at the church. Come. Friar Francis, be brief, only the plain form of marriage. You shall recount their particular duties afterwards. You come hither, my lord, to marry this lady. No. To be married to her, Friar, you come to marry her. Lady, you come hither to be married to this count. I do. If either of you know any inward impediment why you should not be conjoined, I charge you on your souls to utter it. Know you any hero? None, my lord. 
know you any, Count? I dare make his answer. None. Oh, what men dare do. What men may do. What men daily do, not knowing what they do. How now? Interjections? Why then some be of laughing as, uh, ah, ha, he. Stanley by, Friar. Father, by your leave, will you with free and unconstrained soul give me this maid, your daughter? As freely, son, as God did give her me. And what have I to give you back, whose worth may counterpoise this rich and precious gift? Nothing, unless you render her again. Sweet prince, you learn me noble thankfulness. There, Leonato, take her back again. Give not this rotten orange to your friend. She's but the sign and semblance of her honor. Oh, behold, how like a maid she blushes here. Oh, what authority and show of truth can cunning sin cover itself withal? Comes not that blood as modest evidence to witness simple virtue? Would you not swear, all you that see her, that she were a maid by these exterior shows? But she is none. She knows the heat of a luxurious bed. Her blush is guiltiness, not modesty. What do you mean, my lord? Not to be married. Not to knit my soul to an approved wanton. Dear my lord, if you in your own proof have vanquished the resistance of her youth and made defeat of her virginity... I know what you would say. If I have known her, you will say she did embrace me as a husband and so extenuate the forehand sin. No, Leonato. I never tempted her with word too large, but as a brother to his sister, showed bashful sincerity and comely love. And seemed I ever otherwise to you? Out on the seeming! I will write against it. You seem to me as Diane in her orb, as chaste as is the butter it be blown. But you are more intemperate in your blood than Venus or those pampered animals that rage in savage sensuality. Is my lord well that he, he doth speak so wide? Wait, Prince, why, why speak not you? What should I speak? I stand dis. Honored that have gone about to link my dear friend to a common stale. Are these things spoken, or do I but dream? Sir, they are spoken, and these things are true. This looks not like a nuptial. It's true. Oh, God. Leonardo, stand I here. Is this the prince? Is this the prince's brother? Is this face, heroes, are our eyes our own? All this is so, but what of this, my lord? Let me but move one question to your daughter, and by that fatherly and kindly power that you have in her, bid her answer truly. I charge thee do so, as thou art my child. God defend me, how am I beset? What kind of catechizing call you this? To make you answer truly to your name. Is it not hero? Who can blot that name with any just reproach? Mary, that can hero. Hero itself can blot out hero's virtue. What man was he? Talked with you yesternight out at your window betwixt twelve and one. Now, if you are a maid, answer to this. I talked with no man at that hour, my lord. Why, then you are no maiden. Leonardo, I am sorry you must hear upon mine honor. Myself, my brother, and this grieved count did see her, hear her, at that hour last night talk with a ruffian at her chamber window, who hath indeed, most like a liberal villain, confessed the vile encounters they have had a thousand times in secret. Fie, fie, they are not to be named, my lord, not to be spoke of. 
There is no chastity enough in language without offense to utter them. Thus, pretty lady, I am sorry for thy much misgovernment. O hero, what a hero hadst thou been if half thy outward graces had been placed about thy thoughts and counsels of thy heart. But fare thee well, most foul, most fair. Fare thee well, thou pure impiety and impious purity. For thee I'll lock up all the gates of love, and on my eyelids shall conjecture hang to turn all beauty into thoughts of harm, and never shall it more be gracious. Hath no man's dagger here a point for me? Oh. How now, cousin? Wherefore sink you down? Come, come, let us go. These things come thus to light. Smother her spirits up. How doth the lady? Dead. I, I think, help, uncle! Hero! Why, hero! Uncle! Signor Benedict! Friar! Oh, say, take not away thy heavy hand. Death is the fairest cover for her shame that may be wished for. How oh, now, cousin hero? Have comfort, lady. Dost thou look up? Yeah. Wherefore should she not? Wherefore? Why doth not everything cry shame upon her? Could she here deny the story that is printed in her blood? Do not live, hero. Do not ope thine eyes. For did I think thou wouldst not quickly die? The thought I thy spirits were stronger than my shames. Myself would on the rearward of reproaches strike at thy life. Grieved I, I had but one. Chid I for that at frugal nature's frame. Oh, one too much by thee. Why had I one? Why ever wast thou lovely in my eyes? Why had I not with a charitable hand took up a beggar's issue at my gates? who smirched thus and mired with infamy, I might have said no part of it is mine. The shame derives itself from unknown loins, but mine, I, mine I loved, and mine I praised, and mine that I was proud of, mine so much that I myself was to myself not mine, valuing of her, why, she, oh, she has fallen into a pit of ink, that the wide sea hath drops too few to wash her clean again, and salt too little which may season give to her foul, tainted flesh. Sir, sir, be patient. For my part, I am so attired in wonder, I know not what to say. Oh, and my soul, my cousin is belied! Lady, were you her bedfellow last night? No, Truly not, although until last night I have this twelve months been her bedfellow. Confirmed! Confirmed! Oh, that is stronger maid which was before barred up with ribs of iron. Would the two princes lie and Claudio lie who loved her so that speaking of her foulness washed it with tears? Hence from her, let her die! Hear me a little, for if I have only been silent so, Long and given way unto this course of fortune by noting of the lady. I have marked a thousand blushing apparitions to start into her face. A thousand innocent shames in angel whiteness beat away those blushes. And in her eye there hath appeared a fire to burn the errors that these princes hold against her maiden truth. Call me a fool? Trust not my reading, nor my observations, which with experimental seal doth warrant the tenor of my book. 
Trust not my age, my reverence, calling, nor divinity. If this sweet lady lie not guiltless here, under some biting error. Byron cannot be. Thou seest that all the grace she hath left is that she will not add to her damnation the sin of perjury. She not denies it. Why seeks thou then to cover with excuse that which appears in proper nakedness? Lady, what man is he you are accused of? They that do accuse me know I know none. If I know more of any man alive than that which maiden modesty doth warrant, let all my sins lack mercy. Oh, my father, prove that you, that any man with me converse at hours unmeet, or that I yesternight maintained the change of words with any creature, refuse me, hate me, torture me to death. There are some strange misprision in the princes. Two of them have the very bent of honor. And if their wisdoms be misled in this, the practice of it lies in John the Bastard, whose spirits toil in frame of villainies. I know not. But if they speak but truth of her, these hands shall tear her. If they wrong her honor, the proudest of them shall well hear of me. Time hath not yet so dried this blood of mine, nor age so ed up my invention, nor fortune made such havoc of my means, nor my bad life reft me so much of friends, but they shall find, awaked in such a kind, both strength of limb and policy of mind, ability and means, and choice of friends, to quit me of them thoroughly. Pause a while, and let my counsel sway you in this case. Your daughter here, the princess left for dead. Let her a while be secretly kept in and publish it that she is dead, indeed. Maintain a mourning ostentation. And on your family's old monument, hang mournful epithets and do all rites that appertain unto a burial. What shall become of this? What will this do? Mary, this, well carried, shall on her behalf change slander to remorse. That is some good. But not for that dream I on this strange course, but on this travail, look for a greater birth. She, dying, as it must be so maintained upon the instant that she was accused, shall be lamented, pitied, and excused of every hearer, for it so falls out that what we have, we prize not to the worth whilst we enjoy it. But lacking, but being lacked and lost, why then we rack the value. Then we find the virtue that possession would not show us whilst it was ours. So will it fare with Claudio. He shall hear she died upon his words. The idea of her life shall sweetly creep into his study of imagination, and every lovely organ of her life shall come apparelled in a more precious habit, more moving, delicate, and full of life into the eye and prospect of his soul than when she lived. Indeed, then shall he mourn. If ever love had interest in his liver, and wish he had not so accused her. 
No, though he thought his accusation true. Let this be so, and doubt not but success will fashion the event in better shape than I can lay it down in likelihood. But if all aim but this be leveled false, the supposition of the lady's death will quench the wonder of her infamy. And if it sort not well, you may conceal her as best befits her wounded reputation in some reclusive and religious life, out of all eyes, tongues, minds, and injuries. Signor Leonato, let the friar advise you. And though you know my inwardness and love is very much unto the prince and Claudio, yet by mine honor, I will deal in this as secretly and justly as your soul should with your body. Being that I flow in grief, the smallest twine may lead me. Tis well consented. Presently, away, for to strange sores, strangely, they strain the cure. Come, lady, die to live. This wedding day perhaps is but prolonged. Have patience and endure. Lady Beatrice, have you wept all this while? Yeah, and I will weep a while longer. I will not desire that. You have no reason. I, I do it freely. Surely I do believe your fair cousin is wrong. How much might the man deserve of me that would write her? Is there any way to show such friendship? A very even way, but no such friend. May a man do it? It is a man's office, but not yours. I do love nothing in the world so well as you. Not that strange. <laughs> the strange is a thing I know not. It was possible for me to say that I love nothing so well as you, but believe me not. And yet I lie not. I, I, I confess nothing. Nor I deny nothing. I'm sorry for my cousin. By my sword, Beatrice, thou lovest me. Do not swear and eat it. I will swear by it that you love me, and I will make him eat it that says I love you, that I, says I love not you. Will you not eat your word? With no sauce that can be devised, I protest I love thee. Well, then God forgive me. What offense, sweet Beatrice. You stayed me in a happy hour. I was about to protest I loved you. And do it with all thy heart. I love you with so much of my heart that none is left to protest. <laughs> Come, bid me do anything for thee. Kill Claudio. Ah, not for the wide world. You kill me to deny it. Farewell. Terry, sweet Beatrice. I'm gone, though I'm here. There's no love in you. I pray you let me go. Beatrice. In faith, I will go. We'll be friends first. They're easier be friends with me than fight with mine enemy. Is Claudio thine enemy? Is it not approved in the height of a villain that that hath slandered, scorned, dishonored my kinswoman? Oh, that I were a man! What, bear her in hand until they come to take hands, and then with public accusation, uncover slander, unmitigated rancor? 
Oh, God, that I were a man. I would eat his heart in the marketplace. Hear me, Beatrice. Talk with a man out at a window, a proper saying. Nay, but Beatrice. Eat, hero, she is wronged. She is slandered. She is undone. Beatrice. Princes and counties. Surely a princely testimony, a goodly count, count, confect, a sweet, gallant, surely, oh, that I were a man for his sake, or that I had any friend that would be a man for my sake. But manhood is melted into curtsies, valor into compliment, and men are only turned into tongue and trim ones too. He is now as valiant as Hercules that only tells a lie and swears it. I cannot be a man with wishing. Therefore, I will die a woman with grieving. Terry, good Beatrice, by this hand, I love thee. Use it for my love some other way than swearing by it. Think you in your soul the Count Claudio hath wronged Hero? Yea, as sure as I have a thought or a soul. Enough. I am engaged. I will challenge him. I will kiss your hand, and so I leave you. By this hand, Claudio shall render me a dear account. As you hear of me, so think of me. Go comfort your cousin. I must say she is dead. And so, farewell. Act 5, Scene 2, Leonardo's Garden. Pray thee, sweet Mistress Margaret, deserve well at my hands by helping me to the speech of Beatrice. Will you then write me a sonnet in praise of my beauty? In so high a style, Margaret, that no man living shall come over it, for in most comely truth thou deservest it. To have no man come over me, why? Shall I always keep below stairs? Thy wit is as quick as the greyhound's mouth it catches. And yours is blunt as the fencer's foils, which hit, but hurt not. A most manly wit, Margaret. It will not hurt a woman. Mm-hmm. And so I pray thee, call Beatrice. I give thee the bucklers. Give us the swords. We have bucklers of our own. (laughs) If you use them, Margaret, you must put in the spikes with a vice, and they are dangerous weapons for maids. Well, I will call Beatrice to you, who I think hath legs. And therefore will come. The God of love that sits above and knows me. And knows me, how pitiful I deserve. Ugh, I mean in singing. But in loving, Leander the good swimmer, Troilus the first employer of panders, and a whole book full of these quondam carpet mongers whose names yet run smoothly in the even road of blank verse. Why, they were never so truly turned over and over as my poor self in love. Mary, I cannot show it in rhyme. I've tried. I can find out no rhyme for lady, but baby, an innocent rhyme, for scorn, horn, hard rhyme, and for school, fool, a babbling rhyme, very ominous endings. No, I was not born under a rhyming planet, nor I cannot woo in festival terms. Sweet Beatrice, wouldst thou come when I called thee? Yea, senor, and depart when you bid me. Oh, stay but till then. Then is spoken, fare you well now. 
Well, there uh, I go. Let me go with that. I came, which is with knowing what has passed between you and Claudio. Only foul words, and thereupon I will kiss thee. Foul words is but foul wind, and foul wind is but foul breath, and foul breath is noisome. Therefore, I will depart unkissed. Thou hast frighted the word out of his right sense, so forcible is thy wit. But I must tell thee plainly, Claudio undergoes my challenge, and either I must shortly hear from him, or I will subscribe him a coward. And I pray thee now tell me, for which of my bad parts did thou first fall in love with me? For them all together which maintains so politic a state of evil that they will not admit any good part to intermingle with them. But for which of my good parts did you first suffer love for me? Suffer love, a good epithet. I do suffer love indeed, for I love thee against my will. In spite of your heart, I think. Alas, poor heart. If you spite it for my sake, I will spite it for yours, for I will never love that which my friend hates. Thou and I are too wise to woo peaceably. It appears not in this confession. There's not one wise man among 20 that would praise himself. An old, an old instance, Beatrice, that lived in the time of good neighbors. If a man do not erect in this age his own tomb ere he dies, he shall live no longer in monument than the bell rings and the widow weeps. And how long is that, think you? Question why an hour in clamor and a quarter in room? Therefore, is it most expedient for the wise, if Don Worm, his conscience, find no impediment to the contrary, to be the trumpet of his own virtues, as I am to myself? So much for praising myself, who I myself will bear witness is praiseworthy. (laughs) Now tell me, how doth your cousin? Very ill. Uh, and how do you? Very ill, too. Serve God, love me, and mend. There will I leave you, too, for here comes one in haste. Madam, you must come to your uncle, yonder's old coil at home. It is proved my lady Hero hath been falsely accused, the prince and Claudio mightily abused, and Don John is the author of all who is fled and gone. Will you come presently? Will you go to hear this news, senor? I will live in thy heart, die in thy lap, and be buried in thy eyes. And moreover, I will go with thee to thy uncles. Act 5, scene 3, Inside the Church. Is this the monument of Leonardo? It is. Done to death by slanderous tongues was the hero that here lies. Death, in guerdon of her wrongs, gives her fame, which never dies. So the life that died with shame lives in death with glorious fame. Hang thou there upon the tomb, praising her when I am dumb. Now unto thy bones, good night. Yearly will I do this right. Good morrow, masters. Put your torches out. The wolves have prayed, and look the gentle day before the wheels of Phoebus, round about dapples the drowsy east with spots of grey. Thanks to you all, and leave us. Fare you well. Good morrow, masters. Each his several way. Come, let us hence and put on other weeds, and then to Leonato's we will go. 
and Hymen now with luckier issue speeds than this, for whom we rendered up this woe. Act 5, Scene 4, A Room in Leonardo's House. Did I not tell you she was innocent? So are the prince and Claudio who accused her upon the error that you heard debated. But Margaret was in some fault for this, although against her will it appears in the true course of all the question. Well, I'm glad that all things sorts so well. And so am I, being else by faith and forced to call young Claudio to a reckoning for it. Well, daughter, and you gentlewomen all, withdraw into a chamber by yourselves, and when I send for you, come hither masked. The prince and Claudio promise by this hour to visit me. You know your office, brother. You must be father to your brother's daughter and give her to young Claudio. Which I will do with confirmed countenance. Friar, I must entreat your pains, I think. To do do what, senor? To bind me or undo me, one of them. Signor Leonato, truth it is, good signor, your niece regards me with an eye of favor. That I, my daughter, lent her, is most true. And I do with an eye of love, requite her. The sight whereof I think you had from me, from Claudio and the prince, but what's your will? Uh, Your answer, sir, is enigmatical. But for my will, my will is your good will may stand with ours this day to be conjoined in the state of honorable marriage, in which, good friar, I shall desire your help. My heart is with your liking. And my help. Good morrow, prince. Good morrow, Claudio. We here attend you. Are you yet determined to uh, today to marry? With my brother's daughter? I'll hold my mind. Was she an Ethiop? Call her forth, brother. Here's the friar ready. Good morrow, Benedict. Why, what's the matter that you have such a February face, so full of frost, of storm, and cloudiness? I think he thinks upon the savage bull. Tosh, fear not, man. We'll tip thy horns with gold, and all Europa shall rejoice at thee, as once Europa did at lusty Joe. You would play the noble beast in love. Bull Jove, sir, had an amiable low, and some such strange bull leapt your father's cow, and got a calf in that same noble feet, much like to you, for you have just his bleat. For this I owe you. Here comes other reckonings. Which is the lady I must seize upon? His same is she, and I do give you her. Why, then she's mine. Sweet, let me see her face. Know that you shall not till you take her hand before this friar and swear to marry her. Give me your hand before this holy friar. I am your husband, if you like of me. And when I lived, I was your other wife. And when you loved, you were my other husband. Another hero. Uh Nothing certain to her. One hero died defiled, but I do live, and surely as I live, I am a maid. The former hero, a hero that is dead. He died, my lord, but whilst her slander lived. All this amazement can I qualify when, after that the holy rites are ended, I'll tell you largely of fair hero's death. Meantime, 
let wonder seem familiar, and to the chapel let us presently. Uh, soft and fair, friar. Which is Beatrice? I answer to that name. What is your will? Do not you love me? Why, no, no more than reason. Why, then your uncle and the prince and Claudio have been deceived. They swore you did. Do not you love me? Trust, no, no more than reason. Why, then my cousin Margaret and Ursula are much deceived, for they did swear you did. They swore that you were almost sick for me. They swore that you were well nigh dead for me. Is no such matter... Then you do not love me. No, truly, but in friendly recompense. Come, cousin, I'm sure you love the gentleman. And I'll be sworn upon it that he loves her. For here's a paper written in his hand, assaulting a halting sonnet of his own pure brain fashioned to Beatrice. And here's another writ in my cousin's hand, stolen from her pocket, containing her affection unto Benedict. A miracle. Here's our own hands against our hearts. Come, I will have thee, but by this light, I take thee for pity. I would not deny you, but by this good day, I yield upon great persuasion, and partly to save your life, for I was told you were in a consumption. Peace, I will stop your mouth. How dost thou, Benedict the married man? I'll tell you what, Prince, a college of witcrackers cannot flout me out of my humor. Does I think I care for a satire or an epigram? No. If a man will be beaten with brains, I shall wear nothing handsome about him. In brief, since I do purpose to marry, I will think nothing to any purpose that the world can say against it. And therefore, never flout at me for what I have said against it. For man is a giddy thing. <laughs> my conclusion. <laughs> For thy part, Claudio, I did think to have beaten thee, but in that thou art like to be my kinsman, live unbruised, and love my cousin. I had well hoped thou wouldst have denied, Beatrice, that I might have cudgelled thee out of thy single life to make thee a double dealer, which, out of question, thou wilt be if my cousin do not look exceeding narrowly to thee. Come, come, we are friends. Let's have a dance ere we are married, that we may lighten our own hearts and our wives' heels. We'll have dancing afterward. First of my word, therefore play music. Prince, thou art sad. Get thee a wife. Get thee a wife. There is no staff more reverent than the one tipped with horn. (laughs) My lord, your brother John is ta'en in flight and brought with armed men back to Messina. Think not on him till tomorrow. I'll devise brave punishments for him. Strike up, pipers! End of play. All right. Okay. (laughs) Actors, if you could all come back on stage. Um, And uh, just wanted to uh, give everybody a a curtain call here. So uh, if everybody can hear him. Round of applause to everybody. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, very thank much. you all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, all right there. So, uh, yes, that was uh, wonderful. And I'll quickly run down for everybody uh, still watching. We still have uh, quite an audience. So uh, our cast candidate again, uh, Leonardo, Dakin Matthews, Antonio, Alan Mandel, Beatrice, Gigi Birmingham, the hero and the sexton, Aubrey Severino, Don Pedro, Peter Van Norden, 
uh, Benedict, Jeffrey Wade, Claudio, Ross Helwig, Don John, Tony Amendola, Baraccio, Ray Porter, Dogberry, Robert Pine, Friar Francis and Balthazar, Armin Shimmerman, Margaret and Conrad, Jeannie uh, uh, Cicada, Ursula and Burgess, uh, that would be Angie Bird, The Messenger and First Watch, Rob Cressel, and Second Watch, Susan Benninghoff. So uh, thank you again. And, and thank you again to the City of Coronado Public Library and the San Diego Shakespeare Society. And thank you for all of you watching, for being part of this great virtual experiment. Uh, I, I just want to say that uh, I think so much of all the actors that you see, and, and I've learned so much from them, which is why I started the podcast and why I hoped to involve them in this project. So I just want to say to all the actors, thank you so much for bringing life to these words while physical space divides us. Thank you, uh, Nathan, and thanks thank to you. Mark. Yeah, thank, thank you, Nathan. Yeah. Great pleasure. You're all very, very welcome. Thanks, uh, Nathan. You're very welcome. And uh, if any of you need to hop off, please feel free to do so. Um, you know, we have a little bit of time to chat, so if anyone has any reflections on the play or on this process, uh, you know, I know there are other virtual readings happening uh, but for some, this may be uh, the first you've done. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, maybe some of your uh, thoughts on this. But uh, like I said, we can have a little bit of discussion and then uh, I'll enjoy our evening. I have one question right off the top, and that is I've already been asked where people can find this if they missed it. Sure. So uh, the same link where they would have watched it live um, the, uh, it may take a little bit of time, but the recording will show up there. So if they went to, uh, the working actors journey.com slash much ado, or if they just went to YouTube and searched for working actors journey, uh, the video will be up there for people to, to find, to watch back. Okay, good. And I know I asked, uh, Dakin during the intermission, um, but, uh, and then Armin as well, but, uh, has anyone else done, uh, productions of, uh, Much Ado before? And have you, have you played different characters or, you know, reading or, you know, if, uh, readings of the play? I'm just curious. I've just, done Dogberry twice. <laughs> Everybody's played Dogberry. <laughs> I've done Dogberry once up at Full Circle Players in Riverside. Okay. Great. I did Benedict once with uh, uh, Kitty Swink at uh, Antaeus in a in a oh, reading, a staged cool. reading. Yeah, I did Benedict hey. uh, at Kingsman. Oh, great! Okay, very cool. I played the friar for uh, was Susan Lowenberg's. Tell me, what is that? LA Theater Works. LA, LA Theater Works. Oh, great! I played the friar. Did you sing too? Something else. What? And did you sing too? Did Alan? I? Sing? Yes, of course I sang. Bless you. God bless you. I told them I wouldn't do it unless they let me sing. <laughs> I'm a much ado virgin. I've never done it. Oh, really? Yep. That surprises me. Well, now you have. That's right. <laughs> You're all on my resume. <laughs> I know. I know. I. I, 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 I I fully expect to start seeing these virtual productions pop up on uh, actors' resumes. That you know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> it was on long enough. We're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was curious, uh, Gideon. Did you have any uh, uh, thoughts? You know, kind of watching the play back. I know you'd done some prep. You know, in 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 advance of today's. But uh, was there any anything that occurred to you? You know, watching it back and hearing it. Well, first of all, I'm very grateful for the wonderful performances because they brought it alive. I mean, I know the play pretty well, but I got lost in it 
um, again and again today. And so that was just a great pleasure. Um, next time we do this, I'm going to uh, have an exercise for every actor about not hitting pronouns. But uh, apart from that, I was quite moved and it was very beautiful and and very funny, too. So congratulations. It was really excellent performances. You better have a discussion with Dakin before you yeah. do the not hitting pronouns discussion. Yeah. yeah. You I'm better to discuss it with Dakin anytime. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bring a cudgel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. uh, Susan, Susan, I think you were trying to say something, but we couldn't hear you. I think you were on mute. Muted. Sorry. This is uh, for Gigi in particular. And I think Peter Van Norden. And I'm not sure who else. I wanted to show you this program. This is from Henry Four at the Old Globe. Oh. And... Uh, Wait, 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 wait. Uh, wait, wrong page. <laughs> no, this is it. This is Gigi. Yeah. Oh, this yeah? Is my son. <laughs> What's his name? Fix Betwee. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that's, that's when I first saw Gigi, and that's when I first... Um, actually, the first time I saw Dakin was... Um, uh, Mary Wives of Windsor. And I think that was directed by uh, Roger Reese, and my son was in that with him. That's correct. Roger directed that. Oh, Roger. Right. What a joy he was. One of my favorite people ever. Yes. And he did that long uh, kind of conga kick, uh, conga line at the end for the curtain call. I remember that. Anyhow, and, I thought uh, I'd also, while we're here, i show you my copy of the folio is from 1632. Unbelievable. Yeah, it goes around. Wow. And I looked the play up when, when we were going to do this. Wow. Each time wow. I do a Shakespeare, I, I go to the folio. Wow. Did you get that new, Alan? What? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I said, did you buy it new? <laughs> no, it was uh, inherited. But it's wonderful because what I like is the list of the, the company. The names of the principal actors, and the first one is William Shakespeare and Richard wow. Burbage. And a little further down, Alan, is a man named Robert Arman. I'm very proud of him. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All right. Well, the Angel of Silence has passed over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was really? a real pleasure working with all of you. I just, yeah. Thank you so much, Nathan. Yeah. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for getting you're us. You're very here. welcome. Yeah, oh, you're all very guys. welcome. Let's we'll do it again. Who we'll knows? Yeah, well, maybe, maybe we'll do it again. Bravo, bravo. I'm free next oh, week. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Well, uh, again, thank you to everybody watching. Yes. Oh, but yeah. Uh, thank you to all of you for being involved, and then thank you to all of you watching. Uh, it was it was truly a joy to, like I said, watch these actors, uh, many of whom I've known for years, uh, but just you know, jump into this. This is what they do as professionals, and and you know, obviously we're all in the same situation, so there wasn't a lot of notice given, but uh, I I was always confident with the product, and. I just knew that uh, it was, it was going to be a lot of fun. And, and like Gideon said, 
I often got caught up, uh, you know, of course, you're, I'm monitoring a number of things, but uh, a lot of times I was able to just put everything down and listen to the story and, and watch and the performances were wonderful. And, and I think even given these limitations that we have that, you know, we're not in the same room, uh, you know, it, it's cliched, but the story transcends that. Uh, and uh, so I think we were very fortunate to, to gather all here today. And, and again, I'm really, really grateful to you. So thank you again. All Take right. Care, well, we'll, uh, we'll officially wrap this up. And uh, again, thanks everybody for watching and we'll, uh, we'll talk. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Hey guys, Nathan here one more time. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe so you don't miss anything ahead. Be sure to visit workingactorsjourney.com for additional info and links for items mentioned in today's episode, as well as all the episodes. You can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All the links are on our site and in the episode notes. Become a premium member and enjoy additional benefits and perks of the show starting at just $2 per month. Head over to workingactorsjourney.com slash premium to join the Working Actors community. Thanks again to today's guest and to everyone that makes these episodes possible. And a special thanks to you for listening. I'm Nathan Agan, and enjoy the journey.